This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger, for the ones who get it done. What's the easiest choice you can make? Window instead of middle seat? Picking a vendor who sends a great gift basket? Outsourcing business tasks you hate? What about selling with Shopify? Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. Shopify is the global commerce platform that helps you sell at every stage of your business. From the launch your online shop stage to the first real-life store stage, all the way to the did we just hit a million orders stage, Shopify is there to help you grow. Whether you're selling scented soap or offering outdoor outfits, Shopify helps you sell. Wherever and whatever you're selling, Shopify's got you covered. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash try. Go to shopify.com slash try now to grow your business, no matter what stage you're in. Shopify.com slash try. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Get ready, Ohio. FanDuel, America's number one sports book, is coming to the Buckeye State. And to kick things off, you can get started with $100 in free bets as an early sign-up bonus. Plus, when you sign up today with promo code OHIOFD, you'll be all set when FanDuel goes live in Ohio. Then you can bet on all your favorite teams in all your favorite sports with $100 in free bets. Just download FanDuel's top-rated sportsbook app. It's safe, secure, and super easy to use. Ohio, this is your chance to get in on the action. Join today with promo code OHIOFD. Make every moment more with FanDuel, official sportsbook partner of the NFL. 21 or older and present in Ohio. Bonus issued in non-withdrawable free bets that expire seven days after FanDuel accepts its first real money sports wager in Ohio. one Unique user identity verification required. Offer ends on the go-live date. Restrictions apply. See terms at sportsbook.fanduel.com. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Hi, folks. Welcome to another episode of Film Study. This is Ken McCusick. We're continuing our draft coverages, our draft previews here today with the tight end group. And uh, here to do it with me is our good friend, Josh Reed. Josh, how are you doing? I'm doing great, Ken. How are you doing? Uh, life is good. You know, we really enjoy the discussions this time of the year, have some of our you know best friends of the show on each to do a group. And and they've been terrific. They've, they've just been great hour, hour and a half discussions in many cases. And uh, uh, I don't think the tight end group would be any different with you and me doing it because I know we love to talk football whenever we get together. And uh, uh, tight end group, an interesting group. 
this year because it's not a top-heavy group in terms of talent. There really isn't anyone that I think will be drafted prior to the third round. Certainly no one the Ravens should draft prior to round three. Be in the same spot? Uh, yeah, yes, sir. I mean, I mean, I'm pretty sure we're all we all know that the tight end one is probably going to have the best chance of getting drafted in, in the second round, but we know that that's not going to be the Ravens, so it doesn't really matter. Right. Yeah, Ravens can afford to be patient at tight end, and they have the sweet spot of selections for, I think, tight end with five picks in the fourth round. I think one of those five has a very good chance to be a tight end. In fact, one of the fun things we're going to do, because we'll have draft day coverage, of course, I hope you'll join us for some of that, Josh, when you, if you can. Um, but we'll be going through having a, you know day one coverage where we'll go through every pick as it comes off the board. Ravens centric. How does it affect the Ravens? You know, we're not con- we're not concerned about how it affects Cincinnati directly, other than indirectly we are, of course, of a divisional rival getting stronger, but not directly in terms of you know how is Carson Palmer going to fit into the city of Cincinnati if we're going back to two thousand three here with that draft pick. We don't we don't care about that kind of stuff. Uh, what we are going to care about is really Raven centric coverage. So it, it going into that fourth round, and we're going to do the first round of day three. I'm, I'm going to ask people to come up with who are the players that you think fall on a list for the Ravens that, that, that match up need and, uh, and, and appropriate level of draft capital to be around four pick. And I think we're each going to have a list of about 10 guys. I think the Ravens are going to end up getting probably three to four of them. It wouldn't surprise me anyway that uh, uh, that we're that we're that accurate with it because uh, you know it's it's a it's a ground where a lot of need gets matched to value. Yeah, that's definitely where I, I would say like the meat and potatoes and the depth of teams are are really filled within those middle rounds. And the Ravens love having uh, a plethora of, of picks in the middle rounds, especially rounds three through five. It's really where they get a lot of their special teams guys, a lot of their primary backups. I'm just thinking back to that 2016 draft with Tavon Young and Willie Henry and Alex Lewis and those guys. That's yeah. was really the foundation for that team for years to come. Yeah, and they did get a lot of good players out of that. But it didn't work out maybe as well as they could hope. Kenneth Dixon was in there. He provided him some value for a little while. And uh, yeah, you mentioned Willie Henry. That was kind of an unfortunate that, that he didn't work mm-hmm. out better. But, you know, it, it, it got all five of them stayed around for a while. Chris Moore ended up being scoop and score more for a special teamer for a while. So good stuff there. Uh, let's talk about the tight end draft. I'll get back to that. Uh, a couple of things I want to hit up front. The first is, do the Ravens really need another tight end? Now, Boyle is under contract for two years. The way his contract is structured, he won't be cut this year because there's zero cap savings, but he could be cut next year where there's $6 million in cap savings. So this is the play his way into a 2023 year for, for Boyle. And I honestly think he probably gets extended rather than kept on the roster at that $6 million figure next year. Yeah, yeah, I'm in, I'm in total agreement with that. They really like Nick Boyle, and he has a really defined role in Baltimore to where they feel like they they don't think they, they can find it or develop that in a year's in a year's time. I mean, depending on who they may, they may take in this year's draft, but there aren't too many primary blocking tight ends in this year's draft that would be a Nick Boyle a year or two from now. Yeah, you, you, sometimes you don't know a tight end because a lot of these guys have asked to be receivers, and there's certainly, you know, you, you want some amount of receiving talent. You certainly want them to play play action. You want good late release ability. You want a lot of things out of your out of your tight ends. Uh, but you don't always know right off the bat if they're going to be a particularly good blocker. There are a couple guys in this draft, I think, that, that, that meet it. We'll talk about them uh, as we go. Uh, the other thing that I wanted to make sure we talk about is flex and inline tight ends versus move tight ends. So it, there's a difference in production 
that you will see between these guys. So let's first define what they are. And I hate to categorize each tight end as being one or the other of these guys, because many of them have mixed characteristics. They'll, they'll occasionally be used as a move guy, and they'll occasionally line up right on the line of scrimmage and you know, be more focused on route running. Um, but, the, but the guys who line up on the line of scrimmage, whether in line or flexed out, their primary responsibility is usually running a route or they may block at the line of scrimmage as well. But if it's a pass play, they're going to run a route somehow. Maybe you play action route, but it's much more um, designed around what can they do with their route? How can they get free in zone coverage? How can they find the seam? How could they get into linebackers blind spot between level two and three? You know, all of the things they can do. Whereas a move tight end, are H backs guys you see line up in the ba- uh, backfield? Some some people call them F backs. Um, uh, guys who go in motion but are lined up off the line of scrimmage. So we've seen a lot of that from Patrick Ricard and from Boyle and crews of guys crossing the line of scrimmage with motion. You get clues from the defense from those guys about what that de- how that defense is lined up, whether they're in man or zone. You hopefully can diagnose that from your from your motion. And then uh, uh, they also uh, could be a great asset to your run game uh, because they stick their nose right in there in a double team often in the Ravens system, or they can you know be used out on the edge. You really have a lot of different ways you can use those guys. But the Ravens are very different from other teams in that they use a very high percentage of fullback slash tight end motion as opposed to wide receiver motion. So a lot of other teams, their primary their primary consideration with motion, yeah, sure, they'd love to read the defense in terms of whether it's man or zone, but they really want to free up a dangerous receiver of theirs by using motion. Yeah, yeah, totally, totally agree. Okay, well, <laughs> I'll keep going on. So, so the, the, the thing we're going to be looking at is whether these move guys really have the qualities we want or not. So why don't we just jump into our top 10 list right now? We'll just talk to them by example. Is sometimes stronger than trying to define the whole thing before you start. But uh, we'll start with your number 10 guy. You're the guest, and I'll respond with my number 10 as long as it's different. Oh, yeah. So my number 10 guy, um, a lot of people are higher than, higher on this guy than I am personally. But um, my number 10 guy is actually Jalen Weidemeyer from Texas A&M. Um, it's just for, for me, he's like one of the most overhyped prospects at the position in this year's draft. And, you know, the, the, the poor testing that he did at his pro day kind of support the lack of athleticism that he showed on tape, at least to me. You know, he's a guy that doesn't separate very well at times, if, if at all, outside of running. Like his best route is like the post-corner route where he gets kind of kind of kind of wide open in, in, the, in the right corner of the end zone, depending on what side of the field he's running it. But um, to me, he's just like, you know, nothing, nothing more than like a solid red zone target but won't develop into a tight end um, one at the next level. Um, or, you know, because he's, pro- he's probably going to get drafted, you know, fairly high. I feel like I see a lot of projections of him going, you know, some <clears throat> somewhere and somewhere on day two. To me, he wouldn't be worth um, he wouldn't be worth anything higher than a day three pick. But that's just my opinion. Completely in agreement. And in fact, I've got the exact same guy at number 10, Jalen Weidemeyer of Texas A&M. Uh, I, you know, I like the, the physical size uh, at 255 with uh, 33 and, and 5 eighths arms. But that 50240 stands out like a bad smell. Dude, it's, uh, it's like a, a lineman 40. It's, it's ridiculous. It's, and, and, and it's a pro day number. It's not a combine number. So that was really bad. His other testing on that pro day was terrible too. Twenty-five and a half inch vertical and nine nine one broad jump. So extremely low uh, numbers for both, um, you know, tests. And and it's just it's they, to me as as unathletic and as unpolished as he looks as a receiver. I think he still looks more athletic on tape 
than he does from those numbers. I mean, those numbers are just so bad. You, you, it'd be like Patrick Ricard trying to run routes out of the out of the slot or something. I mean, just it it didn't make any sense to me. Oh, oh, you you you're telling me. I mean, it's, it's almost. So, like, you, you know what, at the end of the season, these guys are training for these specific drills. And the fact that he still turned in those poor times, even at his pro day, that shows right. me one of two things. One, it confirms what I saw on tape. But two, did this guy even work at improving these numbers? He knows that these numbers can either make or break your draft stock from being a borderline second yeah. round, third round pick to plummeting all the way to the to day three. You know, to me, yeah, exactly. Like you know, to to me, he's gonna he, he went from 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 day two lock to 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 maybe even not even day three. Like you know, I'm, I'm, I know for some teams, he probably see like off their board altogether. And just the fact that he has all those physical tools and measurables, but the fact that you don't see those translate into athleticism, even in his play or his route running or anything like that, it's very disappointing. I just I wonder if something was wrong. Was he sick or is there going to be other things that come out? I don't know if I'll believe it anyway. I mean, testing is testing. You want to you want to try and understand it. If he if he really felt under the weather or he wasn't up to it on that day, he should have just said, I can't do it. I've got such and such an injury or I've got such and such an illness. So, uh, you know. And um, I don't I don't know if you tuned into the combine coverage, but like when they were when the tight ends were going, he was the first guy in line at every drill. The coaches wanted to use him as the example. Like, hey, Jalen, come here, come here. Like usually when when they do that, that's the guy that you know everybody wants to see, right? But the fact that you know he was first one in the drills and didn't really impress us, got outshined by all the other guys, that it, it, it tells volumes to me. The coaches wanted to see that from you, and you didn't deliver. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's obviously it's very bad. I want to get back to his receiving skills for a little bit because one of the things that has really come out and plagued him during his college career is a lot of drops. Now, he's had 118 catches, 12.4 yards per reception in 24 games. That's pretty damn good. I mean, that's a, that's a lot of receptions. Uh, he's a big target. I think he does some good things at the top of the route. I think that's the biggest thing he brings to the game. You mentioned post corner. I think he runs some other routes uh, kind of well. He's not a really instinctive zone guy like, you know, Mark Andrews is or a lot of other things, but, but you know, that can come with time. I, I, I do believe you can turn him into something better. He's got the size certainly sufficient to block in level two and level three. If he's motivated properly. And I would hope, you know, making it to the Baltimore Ravens and playing in an offense like this, with all the snaps on the line that would that would be there uh, would be a big deal for him to learn how to block properly. But that's something we, we really haven't seen enough of. I, another positive I'll say about him is that he won't be 22 until and, until December. And this and this has been true of past years as well. The tight ends seem to be getting older and older. Uh, Hayden Hurst was really a harbinger of, of this, you know, with a with a minor league baseball career and being older when he when he was first drafted. But there's a bunch of old tight ends in this draft as well. You know, 23, 24 year old guys. And to have a 21 year old guy, I, I am kind of thinking in terms of a project pick, uh, in terms of a guy who so they're going to draft him pretty late. So he might he. I think at, of the picks they have, the only only one that makes sense for him is their sixth round pick. I was yeah, just about to say that too. Like yeah. the like the highest I take would be the fifth round, but the Ravens have a fifth yeah. round pick. I wouldn't even right. take him at the bottom of the fourth. Like that's how I thought it's like so awful on this guy. But like if he's still there at the yeah. sixth round, he's worth the flyer. If they haven't already addressed the position in the fourth round. Right. And and you know, that that may well happen, but that's that's exactly where I would put him and, and that's that was probably exactly the terms. And if they may even, you know, gauge the market at that point and there may be some trading down 
I think the Ravens actually probably can use more picks than 10 in this draft. They have a lot of positional weaknesses in terms of depth and, and trading a fourth for a fifth and a sixth or, you know, two fives, or, you know, there may be a case that they get a chance to get a five this year and a four next year or a six this year and a four next year, even um, if it's the right circumstances, the end of the fourth round, maybe uh, would be something that's, that's, that's worth considering. So they may reset their draft and they may, they may try and get more players this year. Next year, by the way, it looks like the Ravens are only going to have seven draft picks. So I think they really need to be very careful about not trading next year's picks in this draft and, and really try and reset their draft uh, by some sort of combination trade, if they can make one to, uh, I, to get a pick I, next year. I think they're going to trade. They're going to trade down on one of the either the first, second day of the draft to accumulate more picks. Mm-hmm. And um, I think I think that they might even consider trading one of their fourth round picks for, like you said, uh, a, pick, a pick, a better pick next year, maybe like two mm-hmm. fives next year, something like that. Yeah, so they've certainly got some options. That having the what they've got in the fourth round is is gives them a lot of flexibility and and frankly a lot of ability to be very patient with their picks because you know they they're coming up like a machine gun through that fourth round with, with picks every, you know, what, four spots or so, five spots or so. So they're going to have a lot of opportunities to, to get some of the guys they want. And, and they will still have, I think, a lot of positional need entering that fourth round because they'll only have four guys drafted before that yeah. if, they, if they take every pick. Yeah, exactly. I, I honestly, I, I even wrote about this recently. I think there, I think there are several positions where the Ravens could double dip at this year. And um, mm-hmm. like I said, offensive tackles, one of them, cornerback, they might even triple dip at cornerback given the state status of their of their depth chart right now. Um, mm-hmm. Defensive line might be a position they might they may consider double dipping at edge rusher. You know, maybe taking one early, taking one late. You know, so I definitely think the more picks, the better for this year's this year's draft. Yeah, there's a pick. He picks positions we're not talking about that the Ravens probably like a guy or two and they may consider for value at running back. Um, you know, I, I might be a guy that wide receiver they want to draft. I think a lot of people, everybody wants wide receivers every year. And so far, DaCosta has made him happy with two picks every year. At some point, he's going to have to slow down on that. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, they, they, they have uh, they might draft a backup quarterback. Uh, I, I, I don't think that would be an unreasonable thing. They could go with what they have, but they could also uh, draft another backup quarterback at this point, somebody to challenge Huntley in camp and, and uh, be a somewhat younger player that they could, they could use in that position. So anyway, I think we're, we've beaten, beaten Jalen Weidermeyer to death. Let's move up to our number nine guy. Uh, who do you have? Number nine, I have to pull up a list here. I have um, – I might be a, I'm a popular guy in Maryland, even though I'm in Alaska right now, but um, I can't pronounce his name. But the tight end from Maryland, Chi, uh, Chi, yeah, yeah, Ch- Chigo, Chig- Chigo Zima Conquo. Yeah, yeah, he's my number nine. Exactly the same number nine guy. So yep. <laughs> yeah, let's talk it out. <laughs> yeah, if he's my number nine guy, he's the my number nine guy. Um, just uh, you know, he's he's really undersized for the position. You know, he's 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 athletic as all this all get out, but you know, at six foot six foot three, two hundred fifty pounds. Um, he's he's like a real lean six foot three, two fifty. He's not like he's like a real bulky dude. He's like real lean. Um, you know, he's 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 somewhat dynamic after the catch, but you know, it's inconsistent hands that I saw on tape. Um, you know, plagued by that occasional drop, but he's um he's definitely more of the big body receiver mold. So we saw him play at Maryland and, uh, you know, there's different projections of where he could be. But the thing that that just jumped off the charts was him going to the combine. So it's a quote unquote official number. And Draft Scout has a projection for those players that they stick in. I don't know how they put it together, but they had him projected at about 472. 
might be they look at his tape and they estimate it, or they may have multiple people look at it, or they may have some actual uh, tracking mechanism. They yeah, use they to have the, the, the GPS tracking thing that's available to only to NFL teams, though. Huh. Okay, but but they have it. Draft Scout has it to, to yeah, in order yeah, to put their yeah, okay. Yeah, if they're employed by if they're employed by the team, they have access to that information, but it's not readily accessible to the public. All right. Well, very good. So I, I didn't know where that came from, but anyway, he ran four fifty two at the combine, which puts him up to the top of the tight end class in terms of speed. There isn't anybody any faster, and he. What doesn't match up with that is the eight point six yards per reception that he had at Maryland. But I, I know the reason for it. And just watching the game, he's he's been used as a move tight end and he had a very high um, screen and flat workload. So the, the, to his favorite target or, or one of them, uh, it, I, I call him Tua, it's Tagovailoa, it's the second Tua. Um, uh, a lot of throws to the outside, a lot of, uh, you know, he's in motion and he's, and he's therefore restricted on his route tree from running a lot of the downfield routes you would normally see. Uh, it doesn't mean you can't do it with an extended play and whatnot, but it's, but it's less likely that you can, you know, release and go far downfield. Uh, so he, he, he ended up being a, a short receiver and then he had to start beating guys who were coming downhill at him. And that's more of a challenge. And that, that really cut into his productivity per catch. Uh, the other thing is, uh, Tagovailoa by far his favorite target. He had some good receivers too, but, um, Aconqua was his guy and he put him in some very awkward positions with contested catches off balance throws that he made himself where his targeting was, was at its worst. Um, he put, uh, you know, a in a position to absorb contact where I think he was pretty good. Um, and that's often the bane of productivity numbers when you're the favorite target is, is you end up getting a lot of difficult to catch balls because your, your, your quarterback trusts you rather than, you know, they wait for the perfect opportunities to, guys who get less chances maybe on some deep balls or, or uh, uh, you know receivers you don't go to as often so anyway a, a lot to I think forgive him for in terms of his productivity per reception he'll be 23 in September he's one of the you know reasonably old tight ends what I say is the future is now on a guy who's 23 in September that's coming into the NFL um, he isn't a project with a huge upgrade like some of these guys, I mean, at huge upside. I'm sorry, sorry. He's a guy who it has to be now, and um, you know the Ravens. I think if if they look at Okonkwo, one of the things they'll say is his blocking maybe not be exactly what they want for their scheme. Is so so blocking, but I think he has the size to be effective at 243, and in particular. You know, he reminds me of some big receivers the Ravens have had, and and you know we've got guys like Miles Boykin come to mind. Who, as if they can keep their feet in level two and level three, they can really help you in the run game. And I think Okonkwo could be that guy. He just does. He has to learn to be not lungy as a blocker, and the Ravens are going to do a good job, I think, of teaching him to do that. Otherwise, I think he fits them scheme wise very well. Yeah, yeah. I actually had this uh, similar note that you had jotted, that jotted down that you had previously said about his um his yards per reception. Just the fact that he was getting funneled so many of those targets at or below, yeah. at or behind the line of scrimmage is not reflective of the kind of you know downfield threat he could be if he was you know to run some more seam routes or more vertical routes stuff like that. But um yeah, as far as I've, I've even heard some people talk about maybe him even lining up in the backfield at times as like an H back. Yeah. I was like uh, the H back. I was like. Oh, I, I can kind of see, like I said, he's, he's still not like, he's still real lean. You know, like when I, whenever I think of a, you know, some, a tight end lining up in the backfield for the Ravens, I'm thinking he's got to be at least 260, 270 on some Nick, on, you know, some Nick Boyle, Nick Boyle-esque 
kind of thing. But um, yeah, like I said, if they can get him, like I said, like I said, in a move tight end in motion, then yeah, if you get you know get to, uh, head head of steam as downfield blocker, not blocking defensive ends or you know outside linebackers, but you know getting up on defensive back or even a linebacker, I think he'd be a, an, an effective um, effective blocker. Yeah, you you look at how the Ravens used Hayden Hurst. You mentioned him earlier in the show, going yeah. to the Bengals and whatnot. But but how the Ravens used Hayden Hurst in 2019, they lined him up in the backfield a lot in 12 and 13 personnel. And 13 in particular, when they were playing that full house backfield, diamond formation, whatever you want to call it, uh, where he had you know multiple possibilities of running a route or, or making a block from that position. I, I could easily see a Conquo in that uh, in that role. So. Uh, yeah, I, I, I liked him. I like him more than Weidermeyer, who certainly is a much highly thought of, more highly thought of prospect generally. I still think Okonkwo is a guy who it'd be a reach to get him in the fourth round. Uh, and he's the last of my tight ends that really doesn't fit into the fourth round under really any circumstances I can see. If, if the Ravens trade down to five, they can probably get him. I think he fits them better than a lot of other teams. So it's one of the good things is Okonkwo, if they're patient, I think they end up getting him. Yeah, yeah, I, I have him. I've him pegged as a, as a day three lock. Um, somebody who's he's not going to go undrafted, but I think somebody can go anywhere between the fifth and the sixth round. I don't know if he'll be still going to be on the board by the time they're on the um on the clock in the sixth round. But if you know, I'm not, I, he's not really a guy I'd want to trade up for either. Like I said, if they can trade back and with one of their fourth round picks, say like with one thirty one or something like that, and accumulate that pick up the fifth this year and the fifth next year or something like that, and they have an extra yeah. you know fifth round pick, I think he you know he'd be well worth it. Yeah, but especially if you can guarantee that deal right up front is your last fourth round pick turns into a Conquo and a fifth next year. Sign me up for that right now. Yeah. Yep. <laughs> all right. So uh, let's go on. You're number eight guy. Number We're matching eight. all the way up the list. I'm going to be upset about this because I didn't send you this list in advance. I don't, and you didn't send me yours. No, sir. Um, numbers, number eight, I have Cole Turner from Nevada. Okay. Is that, is that who you I, 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 yeah, No, I do not have him. So just let's talk about Cole Turner first. Okay. Um. Yeah. Cole Turner. Um. He's he's you know, like like said another another big body receiver kind of guy. I've seen him come to Mike Kosicki from Miami. Just not quite as polished. He's a real you know red zone threat. Six foot six, two forty. You know, kind of on on the leaner side, lighter side. He's a real jump ball specialist. The kind of guy that you know if you throw it up, he'll he has a big he has a uh, big wide catch radius. Will come down and come down and get it. Um. He, he needs to add more. Functional strength him and also improve his blocking. You know, at, at six foot six, because two forty, you, you hear a tight end two forty. Okay, that's a little light, but when you see that spread over a six foot six frame, that's even that's even lighter. You know, it's all it's almost yeah. like a, more like a heavy heavy receiver than it is a light tight end. Um, but um, yeah, he's he's a he's a guy that except another another day three guy I have I have pegged on here. But um, he was a decent vertical threat. Um, at, at Nevada, put up uh, six hundred and seventy seven yards. Um, last year, 60, 62 catches, averaged just a, just just about eleven yards per reception, ten touchdowns. So he'd be a decent red zone guy. Okay, so so Cole Turner was just outside of my top ten. He's one of my two honorable mentions, and I did like him. Um, the the, the four seventy six forty doesn't really bother me. Seven oh six three cone, I'm okay with. It's not great, but it's but it's just an unexceptional athletic profile. And at six six two forty six, which is what I've seen his weight listed at here. He is really a big wide receiver, and that's what his role was at Nevada. Definitely a guy who flexed out on a lot of plays. Um, I don't know if he if probably not too many people who listen to this show like regularly watch Nevada football, but they have an air raid offense, they call it, which is a, a very 10 personnel 
heavy scheme. And, you know, Cole Turner is actually playing wide receiver in that 10 personnel scheme. If you want to think of it that way, he's, he's flexing out wide and uh, they consider that to be 10, but they're, they're, they're spreading. And, uh, you know, he's, he is quite capable in terms of the route tree as he can sell a vertical rate. He can hit route. He can find space underneath. I think he could give you elements of play action because, Hey, all receivers, if they're allowed to line up as a Y can do things to, to get linebackers blind spots set up properly, get into, get into a good space in a zone quickly, um, against, uh, zone coverage. If, if they, uh, you know, have play option opportunities they're working off, um, good catch radius. He definitely gets, gets the football away from his body, which is like, so it's nothing about how he catches the football. It's that he doesn't really fit the Ravens from a scheme perspective. So he's not going to be a move tight end. They're not going to, I don't think they're going to try and re reframe this guy as a, you know, retrain him, I guess I should say as that he's got the frame he's got. Um, if they wanted to say not take a wide receiver this year and say, you know, we're going to try something different. Our Y guy is going to be a bigger body on a lot of plays and Cole Turner is a guy we could, that can help us there. And we think also when he flexes out, he can maybe help us a little bit with blocking on run plays. No problem. That's, that's a, that could work. If they try and make him an inline player or put him in the backfield or whatever, I think it's, it's just a complete change of responsibilities. Yeah, um, I, I kind of viewed him almost like a like how kind of how people viewed uh, Chase Claypool coming out coming out of Notre Dame a few few years ago. You know, the guy who's like a perimeter guy. Like I said, he he's kind of killed two birds with one stone for the Ravens, not in the you know, sense that you know he'd be a you know, in line tight end, but also kind of like you know Miles Boykin is only on a one year deal, and you know he's on the last year of his contract, and he had felt like he'd be a, a decent perimeter blocker in addition to kind of filling that that hybrid receiver tight end role you know he's bigger than bigger than bigger than most receivers and lighter than most tight ends so kind of like that you know like the chase claypool-esque slash mike kisicki-esque kind of kind of guy so you know we, we can't completely ignore his productions he had 19 touchdowns in 20 games by the way the last two years 111 catches for 1282 yards and that was in 20 games so it's you know 64 yards a game it's 5.5 catches a game those are really nice numbers. It's hard to ignore that. But then when you realize, you know, it's coming out of this run and gun type offense and, uh, you know, playing with Carson Strong and all, it's, it, it definitely he had advantages in in that system that, that really helped accentuate what he could do as a wide receiver. And uh, and he took advantage of it. And I think it, I, I just don't think it makes him the greatest tight end prospect or the greatest fit for the Ravens. Yep, I agree. All right, so we'll go into my number eight guy, who is uh, Charlie Kolar of of Iowa State. Uh, yeah. He was my honorable mention guy. <laughs> yeah, he was okay. So we flip flip flopped on this one. So six seven two fifty two thirty four and a half inch arms four sixty two on the forty. There aren't a whole lot of tight ends running any faster uh, this year. Uh, he is all, already twenty three. So another one of these older tight end guys in this class, uh, he definitely has the frame to block effectively. And I was watching some additional highlights of him just before we came on here, like about 30 minutes ago. Um, one of the things uh, you really notice is good sideline awareness that, that's evident. Now, if you only watch highlights, you get that. But if you watch a game, you'll also notice that, that he that he does a pretty good job of knowing where that sideline is, uh, really damages opponents on extended plays. So I looked at about two minutes of just highlights of his and what it typically was, was quarterback was in the pocket for about four seconds and all of a sudden he's open. Now that could be a, Q, a QB preference thing because, you know, quarterbacks is, as the play gets longer and their internal clock 
is ticking, they may be thinking big target, big target, big target, you know, and, and Kolar seems like an excellent choice for that at 6'7", 252. Uh, but he was wide open on most of these plays that you're seeing. I mean, just open by 10 yards on an extended play. So he does tend to get lost a little bit. Um, I th- you know, he has a great low drop rate. Um, and, and there are some tight ends definitely in this class, which have problems with that good catch radius away from the frame, really a great combination of tight end to have a catch radius and a low drop rate. That's, that's not something you see all that often. So really good receiving characteristics. Um, you know, I, I look at Ferguson, who's another tight end. We'll talk about this. Um, they're both late four players the Ravens might consider to me. And uh, Kolar, a guy who, um, you know, played in a program that includes more passing, but but they're, they're otherwise, I think, similar in terms of skill set uh, players. We'll talk about Ferguson when we get to him. But uh, I like Kolar, and, and he's my number eight guy, I think it was, right? Yeah, yeah. I, yeah, I like Kolar, too. I, I really I really struggle with you know, leaving him off the list. Um, like I said, I, I love his body control, especially when it comes to, like, red zone, end zone type stuff. He's a guy that covers, covers like you said, real late, and is kind of like a, that emergency emergency breaking case of glass for his quarterback, especially down there mm-hmm. inside the inside the, the 20 yard line. So I really like that about him. And um yeah his body controls his body controls is great too. So yeah he's um yeah he he, he, was, he was up there for me just just missed the cut. I, I kind of compare him he reminds me about uh, um, Donald Parham for for the for the Chargers. You know like a, a guy who's like a, a really tall tall tight end that's real lean kind of basically like a big body receiver. So he was like Donald Parham was my pro comp for Kolar. Okay. All right. Well, fair enough. I want to come back to this fourth round and how we'd order the guys, but more importantly, to kind of set out like a a limit on where I would draft the guy in terms of the number. But we'll do that at the end when we when we're back at this. Uh, Who is your number seven guy? My number seven guy is uh, Cade Cade Odin from um, from Washington. Um, He's he's a guy who I feel like is going to be a better a better pro than he was in college. You know, we're coming from, coming from Washington, all those guys are all the tight ends. You think of a Will Disley, you guys like that, who were basically required to block primarily most of the time in college. But when they did get their chances to shine as a pass catcher, they showed some promising traits. So he's, he's, he's a guy that I like. Um, I kind of compare him to, a little bit to, to Dawson Knox, a guy who's a primary blocking tight end in college and then kind of flourished mm-hmm. as, a, as, a, as a secondary pass catcher in the NFL. Um, so he's a guy who was like I said, real technically sound as a blocker, even because like, his primary duties in college. Um, but he's 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 not as dominant as a, as a blocker as a lot of Washington tight ends have been, but he's still like a technically sound guy because you know you do it enough times, you're gonna get good at it. Um, but um, yeah, he, he runs Chris Rouse agile in space. Um, makes good adjustments to the ball when it's a little off target. Um, he can get open against man and zone. And um, I think he's gonna go a lot higher than some people are thinking right now. Yeah, I have him higher on my list. So he is my number three guy. And one of the guys that, you know, I definitely would take starting at the beginning of the fourth round anyway. Uh, uh, arm length is is okay for his size. The problem is they don't have good speed testing on the guy. No good speed, no good three cone, uh, which are both important, obviously, at, at, uh, at tight end. There's an ankle injury from November uh, that kept him from any testing at the combine other than the bench reps where he did 17. So that's not exceptional. But, but you know, for tight end, I don't really care that much. Um, 
only had 91 catches total in, in college for a thousand yards and nine touchdowns. Uh, there's nothing terrible about that. But then if you look at what's provided by PFF and their guide in terms of the heat maps, I noticed that uh, he had a lot of red showing up on what looked like they must have been shallow cross plays or underneath routes that were that were intended to be two and three yards past the line of scrimmage. So kind of like a Conquo in a way, a guy who had a fairly limited route tree in terms of where they would throw him the football. So that may have been relative to their other weapons. It may have been what they were trying to do down in distance wise, but he never was a guy who really put up, uh, you know, b- big numbers in terms of, of uh, a dot um, average depth of target. Uh, he does, come with a reputation as one of the two best blocking tight ends in this draft. And that's why I think he might fit for the Ravens. Um, uh, Think Eric Tomlinson in terms of uh, a guy who is going to have more receiving opportunities than Eric Tomlinson, uh, but can line up as needed, included in the backfield, and he'll give you the blocking you need. He's one of the two guys that that I really like as a blocker in this draft. There's other guys you could mold into a blocker. You know, Cade's ready to do it right now. And uh, the Ravens could definitely take a shot on him in round four. And I think if you look at him, he might be the guy that replaces Nick Boyle. So you might be thinking about this year. First of all, if Boyle can't stay healthy. He's probably gone anyway. So they have to, they really have to find his, his replacement, whether they want to or not. And, uh, and Kate Otten could be the guy. So we'll see if uh, um, that's the way it plays out. Yeah. Um, I think the only reason he's not, the only reason he's not as high on my list as, you know, like I said, he, he's a great fit in terms of fits for the Ravens. <laughs> He'd definitely be off the top of my list, but as far as like you know, just like as far as ranking the tight ends in this class, um, just you know, given you know his lack of production, and like I said it's just no fault of his own. I do have a guy higher higher on this list than him who didn't have gaudy production in college either, but he he, he flashed a lot more as a receiver. And you know, my mindset coming into this was okay, you know, Ravens need you know they have a blocking tight end tight end set in Nick Boyle. What they really need mm-hmm. is a primary pass catching threat at the position that can take some of the onus and attention away from Mark Andrews. And he, you know, he's a guy like said, not saying he can't do it. Just he hasn't shown the ability to do it on a consistent basis at Washington. So that's why he wasn't as high on my list, but I do like him a lot as a prospect. I think he'd be great for the Ravens as a, as an end line H H guy or Y. It really was terrific to have both Hurst and Andrews for that one season. Mm-hmm. Uh, and unfortunately, once it became apparent that Andrews was going to be the guy, I think DaCosta actually did a very good job of getting what he could for Hurst, uh, you know, back, back in terms of the pick. And, um, you know, honestly, I, I don't think you can ask for more than that. He uh, uh, he wasn't going to get the targets he wanted in Baltimore. That was going to be a, a, you know, a focus of things. And I again, I guess I would have the question is if they bring in another tight end, are they going to have the commitment to as much tight end play as they had in 2019, play as much 13 and 12 as they did? to get the tight end snaps for everybody. And that includes Ricard, Uh, you know, obviously includes Andrews and who got a, in in 2019, if you think back, got a relatively low percentage of snaps, much lower than he's playing now, but a high percentage of targets. So he he was the designated receiver when he came into the game. Uh, And, and, you know, maybe they get another guy who's an early down receiver plus a blocker. Um, You know, a, a guy like Otten could be that guy. Uh, if you if you if you wanted that, but there's other guys who could do it too. And um, let's I guess let's keep talking. So that was your number seven guy, correct? Mm-hmm. 
Okay, let's keep going. I, I'm with Jalen Ferguson of Wisconsin. That's why I kind of was already uh, teeing up the comparison with Charlie Kolar because I had to kind of make a decision on who I would draft first between those two guys. Uh, Ferguson, 6'5", 245, 40, 140, 7'0", cone. Nothing special athletically. Um, he's played an extremely run-heavy offense at Wisconsin. So you got Nevada on the one end where they pass almost every down. You've got Wisconsin is almost all the way on the other end. I'm trying to think Navy and, you know, you could probably think of some other programs that throw even less. Uh, but but uh, Wisconsin is really an extreme run offense. Um, and he only had about 1,600 yards and 11.2 YPR, despite being very productive for four years. His four years, very difficult to tell apart. Uh, you know, it's like Fred McGriff's seasons. Uh, you look at him and they all look the same. But uh, he, he, was a, he was a guy very much that uh, produced on a consistent basis. Good guy to find openings in zone coverage, gets lost in play action. We've heard that before. Uh, good box out ability. Um, I think it, one thing I really saw is that he braces well through contact. So he had a, a really nice touchdown when double covered in Illinois in the end zone. Both, both uh, uh, defensive backs hit him pretty hard and he held onto the football. I was impressed by that. Uh, certainly the centerpiece of the Wisconsin offense in terms of pre-snap movement. So he's really been a move tight end and accumulated decent receiving numbers despite that. So I, I consider pretty good when a move tight end is up there at 11.2 yards per reception. It wouldn't be good for a receiving tight end. It wouldn't be, wouldn't be exceptional anyway. But I think it's pretty good for a move tight end where there's going to be a lot more flat and there's going to be a lot more uh, you know, screen passes and try and get him out in space with, uh, as, as a bigger body. Uh, but I think, you know, in terms of what he could do pre-snap for the Ravens and, and what he would do if they went back to more 12 and 13, uh, he'd, he'd be a great piece that would, that would fit what Roman has done in the past. We'll see if that's the same. Uh, and I think he's another guy reasonably placed late in the fourth round. No need to reach. The Ravens have other opportunities there. He might end up being the guy. He might not end up being the guy, but he does fit. And, uh, and he'd be a guy that I'd be perfectly happy with in round four. Yeah, yeah, I have him uh, number five on my list. He's a guy um, I've really warmed up to uh, throughout this pre-draft process. You know, like like you said, real, he's a real sure-handed guy, reliable, consistent, uh, threat in the passing game. You know, um, he's not he's not the best blocker, but he's a high-effort blocker. You know, he's, he, mm-hmm. he's not as proficient as you know you typically see at the Wisconsin tight ends. But that's because he brings more of a presence in the passing game. So um, the, the, he's he's real he's real strong at the catch point and go up and come down because that's the catches um through contact and through traffic. To me. So I, I have I have two two kinds of yak guys. I have a, a yards after contact guy and then a yards after catch guy. You know, he's not the most physically imposing. He's more of the yards after catch guy. He's the kind of guy that can, you know, he can he, he can he can get a ball, he can get a ball, you know, if he's, if he's the quarterback hits him in stride. He's a guy that can get up and go, and you know he's a, he's he's not that much of a physical presence. He's going to break a lot of tackles. He's just more of a yards after catch guy. But I think he has a I think he has a pretty high ceiling as a as a tight end too that can contribute from day one. And, and you know he also uh, performed well at the Senior Bowl too. Um, so you know the Ravens love their Senior Bowl guys, especially in those middle rounds. That's where they dropped a lot of guys that they uh, scouted down in Mobile, and he had a pretty nice uh, week of practice. And then um, he led the national team in receiving yards. He even scored a touchdown in the game itself. So um, I think he's definitely guys on the Ravens' radar. Yeah, could he? He definitely has some of those characteristics they seem to like. That could end up being a red star player that a scout names as one of the guys they really like. And uh, the Ravens certainly have a, a predilection to take some of those, you know, obviously a scout's making an individual commitment to that player. There's a, there's a, a, a desire to, to let each scout have a win once in a while. If they're, if they're good, you're keeping them. 
Yes, Who is definitely. your number? I'm sorry, go ahead. Oh, yeah, he's definitely probably going to be with somebody's banging the table guy. Like, I scouted this guy down on Mobile, and I believe in this guy. This guy looks and plays like a Raven kind of guy. So I can definitely see, I bet somebody's going to be banging the table on day three of the draft. All right, fair enough. So we both like him, just a little bit different amount. Who's your number six guy? Number six for me is uh, Jelani Woods from Virginia. Um, to me, he's 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 the kind of athlete that people project Jalen Widemeyer to be. Like you wanted you wanted him to, <laughs> you wanted him to be that big that big that big bulky dude. That would not say bulky, but that big uh, athletic guy who who looks and plays like a, a like, like you know that, like like his size. He's like the heaviest guy on my list. I think at six foot six foot seven, two hundred seventy five pounds. So he's to me he's the closest closest thing physically to to a Nick Boyle. He's a real rocked up dude. Like I said, he, like I said, he's even, he, he's quite a few inches taller than Nick um. The Nick, the Nick Boyle, and um, he's a guy that you know he was a primarily blocking, blocking receiver slash tight end at Oregon State for the first three years of his career before transferring to Virginia and really blowing up there on um, his last year there, where he shows a lot more of his receiving skills. So, um, I like a guy like Jelani Woods. All right, so he might have lost weight for the combine here. I've got him at two fifty two, both on combine and pro day here. So, uh, not not sure what we're uh, you know what the difference is, but it could it could well be that that he lost weight to run better, maybe. But his okay. measurables are outstanding: six seven, two fifty two, four sixty one forty, thirty four and a half inch arms. You know, I love my arm length in offensive tackles, but I like it in tight ends too because they they have to block defensive ends. They have to be able to maintain space with people in level two and level three if they're if they're good run blockers. And it, it does not hurt at all to beat press coverage if you're going to be in there in the slot. And, and, and uh, you know, you, you, you pretty much will dissuade anyone to get up in front of you in terms of press coverage if you're Jelani Woods size and length. So uh, definitely great measurables. What's what's problem is that it doesn't really translate to what we've seen in receiving skills as of now. So I, you know, I can't get as excited about him. And I did have exactly the same spot again on this number six for me as well. Um, but he is the kind of blocking or receiving tight end that I think a lot of 12 personnel teams are going to love, which means the Ravens have competition for him. When, when you get into the move tight ends and these guys, you know, I worry about the Patriots. I worry about other teams that have a fullback that, that, that might want to go after a, a move tight end. And I worry about some of the teams to a lesser degree that have 12 personnel. But Jelani Woods really fits a team that runs a lot of 12 or a lot of 13. Um, and, and the Ravens, you know, would, would be one of the teams that he'd be a really good fit for. Quarterback at Oklahoma State originally, he converted to tight end in 2017. 44 receptions as a senior was really his breakout. Hadn't done a lot before that. This is really his first good receiving uh, season. So he's only got 75 career catches for 12.8 yards per uh, reception. But those do include 12 TDs. So he's catching he's, he's catching a TD about every 12 about every six uh, throws to him. So uh, I, I think he's a guy the Ravens would draft thinking they can make both a good receiver and a good blocker out of him given the measurables and again he's another another one of a large group of players that i think is worthy of a fourth round pick it's just a matter of how you stack these guys up in round four and who's available yeah i definitely agree with you as far as like um like on all the points you just said but especially for the um competition part because i feel like he's the kind of guy who i've seen like a lot of a lot of top analysts really kind of hype up as of late and i think he might even 
like I, I know the Ravens won't probably won't do this, but he could he's a guy I feel like he could slip slip into like late late day too. Like I think some team might be willing to uh, take him with the third round pick. Um but I don't think what that the Ravens are gonna be one of those teams. And if he's there in the fourth round, I think he's definitely gonna be a guy that's on their radar. Like I said, it's um he's a really good, pretty good red zone weapon. Uh, he's one of my yards after he, my other yet guy, yard at the contact. Um, he's the kind of guy that he's a that tackle breaking toughness after the catch. Um, you know, if he, he catches, if he gets, if this guy gets ahead of steam, or if you know he catches the ball on on, on the line, you know, it's going to take a couple of guys to bring him down. Um, that you know, it's going to might take may, not as many as it did in college because he's going to be in the NFL. But I think he definitely has the tackle breaking potential to kind of bull, bulldoze through second, third level defenders. All right, let's move on to your number five guy. Uh, my number five guy was uh, Jake Ferguson. So Jake Ferguson. Okay, so we'll go to my number five guy, who's Isaiah Likely of Coastal He's Carolina. <laughs> He's my four. He's your number four guy. So we're gonna we're gonna run to these guys a lot. At six five two forty five at the pro day. Uh, a problem. He ran a four eighty two forty and a seven thirty nine three cone. Which are the, the forty two forty? I can live with the seven thirty nine three cone is a complete ug at the position is really not good at all. I don't know what might have happened in terms of what went wrong, but um, it's definitely something that he should either been prepared to run maybe a second time or, or whatever, you know, might've been appropriate. Uh, no really great measurables for this guy. So it's all about the tape and he has really good tape is, is the nice thing. Now coastal Carolina, uh, you know, is a group of five school and coast Carolina Sunbelt, right? I, yep, I have Sun to always re-remind myself of where these, where these yeah. teams play. Yes. Sunbelt. Got, Got legitimate wiggle at the top of his route. I mean, he makes he makes some defensive backs make mistakes at the top of the route. That's what we're talking about when we mean wiggle. Can beat him with a double move, can get him to commit in the wrong direction, can do a lot of things uh, to, to try and beat a defensive back at the, at, the, at the top of the route. Tracks the ball quite well. Uh, so, you know, if you're throwing the ball to a spot on the field, I think he's a guy who can help you there. Arms are short for his height at under 32 inches. Um, that kind of restricts some of how he can help you when he's playing in line. And as a blocker, he'll probably be a little less useful, particularly as a pass blocker. Um, but I would say he looks okay on contested catches. Now, I, I do have to consider the level of competition there, um, but it's not that much lower than, than the, the power five. It's just, it's somewhat lower and, and uh, it just has to be considered, honestly. Um, what, what else did I want to say? Lines up flexed wide a lot. Mm-hmm. So he's more of a guy that, that doesn't fit the move tight end category. He's really a flex, uh, uh, you know, flex and a inline uh, tight end who's, who's more focused on running a route directly off the line of scrimmage as opposed to moving to diagnose that motion for the offense in general. Um, he was a big mismatch for inside linebackers in the Sun Belt. Now, inside linebackers have a tough time with tight ends, period. I mean, that's true in the NFL, but... Um, in particular, with the Ravens play action system, getting that tight end behind the inside linebackers in the middle of the field. And Lamar was criticized all kinds of times about it in 2019. Then we realized how much we missed that from the offense when more throws are, 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 are being these binary choices on the outside. But we, we, you want to try and have good opportunities in space over the middle of the field. They're just very productive chain moving plays. Uh, and they're usually, you, you know, chunk plays that aren't 40s but they can often be 16s and 18s and you're, you're perfectly happy to have those and likely i think would, would be able to do some of those things in the nfl uh if if they draft him i think they have to believe something was wrong at the pro day so they have to figure out kind of how what's wrong with the measurables that were taken there 
Because if those are the real story, I, I think, you know, he becomes a big, slow wide receiver. And at 6'5", 245, 482, he doesn't compare well to, say, my number 11 guy, Cole Turner of Nevada, you know, being a, a, a bigger player who uh, can play that Y spot. And, uh, um, you know, another guy, I think if the Ravens can find their, their – um, uh, figure out what went wrong at the pro day. I think he could be a fourth round guy and, and he could help them as a, as a more as a receiving threat, but also do some of the things they need from a, from a move guy eventually. Yeah. Yeah. My notes on him, I got him listed as, you know, pretty much a big body wide receiver is best suited as, as, as a flex tight end or, you know, wind up in the slot or split out wide. Um, it's really inconsistent as a blocker. Wasn't asked to do it a, a much in college. Um, I view him as like the second best vertical threat at the position in this draft. He's still a pretty good seam stretcher. And, um, you know, he has, I said, even though his 40 time didn't, didn't show it, I think he has some pretty decent speed. Um, it can be a big, big play threat at times. Um, he kind of reminds me of a, a guy like, like Brevin Jordan from last year coming out of Miami as far as just, you know, mm-hmm. the, the prototypical, you know, lining up in the slot, flexed out wide tight end who makes, who makes life difficult for linebackers. Um, can match up well on on, on the safeties and stuff like that. So um, he's, he's a guy I think would be worth a, worth the fourth round pick. Um, he's, he, his, his production steadily increased each year he came in. I mean, he was in college and he really kind of helped the offense take the next step over the last few years uh, for the Chanticleers. Um, that's uh, that's that's, <laughs> the, that's their mascot. So um, yeah, he's 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 a solid prospect. I think it would definitely worth one of those fourth round picks. But I could see a team taking him um, on late on day two. All right. Fair enough. Uh, so let's see. We've got is my number five guy. And so we're up to your number four guy who is likely. Mm-hmm. Right. So yep. and then I'll go to my number four guy, uh, Greg Dulcich of UCLA. Uh, you know, a, a player I really like a lot. Six four two forty two of four sixty nine forty. That's fast enough. That's plenty fast enough to play tight end in the league. So um, it's not a straight line speed. That's the problem. I think he decelerates very well. He gets to sits in the chair is what I mean when I'm talking about that. Well, here, you, when, if you listen to the wide receiver show, we'll be talking about that a lot more because deceleration comes up a lot with wide receivers who are very fast off the line of scrimmage and how quickly they can decelerate and turn for some of those hitch routes is, is very important. Uh, and, and how much that defensive back, that corner usually in that case, has to respect that and react to it when they start or they think they see that sitting in the chair occurring. So uh, Dulcich is a guy I thought who, who decelerates extremely well, you know, gets his weight down um, to do it. Uh, limited value as a blocker. He's really a route runner, a uh, slot receiver who, when he comes on the field, I think that opposing defensive coordinators are probably going to figure him for just a wide receiver, that he's a, you know, a bigger wide receiver at 6'4", 242, and they're going to counter package to match that. So they may put a safety on him. Uh, you know, the package may be big nickel. If you see Dulcich on the field with one other tight end in 12, uh, you know, they're, they're going to defensive packages will react to him and not treat him like a tight end necessarily in the way we always see a tight end treated. Um, in his last 18 college games, and remember that's only one more game than a full NFL season. Now 68 catches for 1,242 yards and, 18.3 yards per catch doesn't have that elite speed, but he certainly makes the most out of what he's going. What I saw was a lot of catches over top of defenders between level two and three 
and then some terrific yards after the catch ability. Um, if you're if you're talking about breaking into two two categories of after the catch because he's wide open in his stride and after the catch because he's beating contact, it's both. You look at him against LSU, he had two really nice moves after the catch, a 75-yard TD where he really ran over Derek Stingley near the goal line, but he, he ran over somebody else uh, before that. I didn't identify who that was, but, uh, but I did notice Stingley sitting in there uh, near the goal line. It didn't look very good on that play. Uh, and another, another play in that game that was, uh, that was exceptional. Not a bad choice as a pure receiving tight end, uh, who will be there? You know, basically where the where the quarterback expects him to be. So that, what I mean by that is he's he's going to sit down and go zone coverage, make himself available to that quarterback, uh, be available in terms of route running where he's expected to be. I think he's good good enough route runner to to give the quarterback there. Um, he won't be a move guy. He'll be a guy the Ravens line up on the line of scrimmage, either on the end of the line or flexed out into the Y. But wherever he'll be, he'll be looking to run a route off that line of scrimmage. So. Doesn't quite fit the entire move uh, scheme that the Ravens like, but uh, you know if they have other guys for that, then this is a guy you uh, you really like as a route runner. Yeah, yeah, he's um he was my number three guy, so you know we're we're almost locking step again. Um, and, like to me, he was the to me he was the the best seam stretcher at the position in this entire draft. He's my top yak guy, yard after catch, and like you said, he fits both modes as far as you know getting getting open and catching the ball, and then generating more yards after after uh. After after he catches the ball, he has some elusiveness in the open field. I know the plate you're talking about against LSU, and one of the guys he actually you know put a little move on him and duked him out of his shoes a little bit, and that's how he's able to finish to finish that um that that um catch and run in the end zone. Um, you know, so he's a, he's a willing blocker. You know, it's far from his specialty. Like I said, anytime he comes on the field, it, people people gonna know either he's gonna be running around or getting the ball. Um, like the, the big body receiver mold that you know that's better better suited in the slot or split out wide. You know, as a, you know that the F tight end. Um, but he's a guy that I I really do like. He averaged uh, 17.3 yards a catch last year. Former walk on, um, really shined the last two years in the um the Chip Kelly offense, and he he more than earned his scholarship. So he's he's a guy that um. Like I said, I've even seen him compare, like a lot of people compare him to to Hayden Hurst, you know, as far as like, you know, mm-hmm. his, his receiving ability and, and maybe what he can do as a blocker at the second and third level, not so much at um, on, on in line or at, at or behind the line of scrimmage. Yeah, I completely agree on that. Where do, where do we just see the Ravens investing in Dulcich? About what round would be reasonable or, or uh, you know, maybe the more pertinent question is, do you think some other team, given who he is and kind of the dearth of talent at tight end, is particularly receiving talent, is going to jump up into round three to get him and maybe box out the Ravens, who I don't think are likely to take Dulcich in round three? I think because well, they have two picks in round three, I think he'd be worth their second, third round pick at most, if they really like this guy at most. Mm-hmm. But I can honestly see him going as high as the late second round just because I know the premium that some teams place on those pass-catching threats at tight end. He's a guy that can stretch the field vertically real good and really um, really burn safeties and linebackers. So um, I'm not sure. It really depends on the on the preference of the teams um, ahead of him. I know I know their number one guy is gonna go is gonna go ahead of him, and maybe even our number two guy. I'm not sure if we're still locking locking key on that guy, but I think Dosich is the kind of guy that's gonna go either early, like the latest he goes is early day early day three, like early in the fourth. But I, I could see him definitely falling somewhere in the third round, maybe to the Ravens at at their second second third round pick, but who knows? Okay. 
All right, fair enough. Uh, so my number, th- your number three guy was Dulcich, Dulcich mm-hmm. and my number three guy was Otten. So we, we're 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 back into your number two guy, and it sounds like we have the same number two and number one. Yeah, my number two guy is Jeremy Ruckert from um, from uh, Ohio State. Is that who you got number two, or you got that's number my one? number two guy? I, I had real questions, but I you know I, I, after reconciling everything, that's who I put at number two. Yeah, well, I'm glad we're lock, lock, lock and step. Uh, do you want to go first on 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 uh, Ruckert, or you want me nope. to go? Please, okay. you you go first. Okay, honestly, he's I, I I'm not saying he's he's better than well, we all know he's gonna be number one. Trey McBride's gonna be number one. I'm not I'm I'm not saying he's better than Trey McBride, but to me, he was he's my favorite tight end in this year's draft just because I feel like he's the most versatile tight end in this year's draft. He's the kind of guy that can line up any and everywhere for your for your team as an inline blocker in the backfield as a flex as a move split out wide he's he did he did it all at ohio state and i think he can do he can definitely do it for the ravens he's the kind of guy that I've, because of all the receiving talent that surrounded him at, at for the uh, at ohio state he's the kind of guy that was really underutilized as a pass catcher when you look at some of his highlights and watch his tape he's a guy that has has great hands great adjustments to the ball can track the ball real well um he can be a seam threat he can be the, the kind of guy that can get open against man and against zone um he, he knows how to find those soft spots in zone coverage you know um he, he's great body control and um and build high point the ball especially when it comes to the red zone and the end zone and he's just a guy that i really like um he, he had some really good um blocking reps against george Karloftis um uh in, in the game against they had against purdue not sure if it was this mm-hmm. year or last year but um he's a he's a strong stout technically sound blocker um still needs some refinement but to me he's the, probably the second or third best blocker in this draft all right. All right. Definitely a lot of positives there that I'm going to I'm going to mirror um, all of the, the. The testing is not complete here. In part, he didn't have any 40 run because he had plantar fasciitis uh, that he suffered at the senior bowl. And I, I, I know I have had that and you, you can get over it. It's not like a Liz Frank injury or anything like that. It's actually very minor. Um, I think. He understands that if you if you hear him talk at the podium, he doesn't dismiss the concerns that teams have. He just says, you know, this is this is a fairly minor thing. It's, it's going to be gone. And he's right. I think it's 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 not a big deal. Um, you mentioned the focus on the wide receivers. Don't need to go into that. What what they did use uh, Rucker for at Ohio State was important catches. So he had 54 career catches, 11.4 YPR, which, by the way, wouldn't be terrible. It'd be okay for a for a flex tight end. I think it's actually pretty good for what they asked him to do. And twelve of those were touchdowns. So you know he was he was a touchdown more than one every five every fo- every four and a half uh, catches at Ohio State. So that's fairly impressive. Uh, he's the second great tight end blocker in this cl- class, along with Otten. So I, I like him a lot. Very alignment versatile, uh, good play action uh, guy. I think he is will have not, no trouble uh, getting behind inside linebackers uh, to 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 take that level two, level three space um, and, and find it. If the Ravens decide they want to do that, he'd be an excellent addition. If the Ravens go back to lots in twelve or thirteen personnel, so. Um, who knows if the Twitterverse would would you know break its collective uh, heart and burst open if if they uh, went back to a lot of twelve and thirteen personnel? But I think if 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 Roman goes back to his roots to try and rebuild the offense to what it was in nineteen and twenty, uh, it's that's not impossible that they would they would go back to more running of the football. It really depends on who they have on the offensive line, who they have as their sixth and seventh blockers in terms of that tight end and the and the fullback with Ricard. We know that a lot of those pieces will be back. 
you know, having having certainly Boyle back to start the season, we hope. The possibility of having another tight end would be a, a big addition to that. And I think it's very possible, whether fans like it or not, that the Ravens will go back to more 12 and 13, try and be the dominant possession team they were in those two years and the highest scoring offense in the NFL in those years. So if you hate Roman's offense and it doesn't meet your modern standards, get over it because it was the best offense in the entire league those two years. And, uh, you know, that's uh, that's just the way it worked out. Another guy I think would be good in round four for the Ravens. Um, he's the first guy that I'd be OK with the Ravens taking with their last pick in round three. Uh, so I, I'd put a cap on him at about the 90th pick. And I think the Ravens draft slightly after that with their last round three pick. Um, when round three and round four, I'm expecting a ton of need matches for the Ravens. And because that tight end group is very thick in exactly that round four space, I expect the Ravens to be um, patient in terms of drafting a tight end where they might be much less patient in terms of a developmental offensive tackle they like or a maybe a running back they like if they really don't like the the current situation at running back they they might feel safer about getting a tight end they want they might reach a little bit higher in the fourth round to to get a get a running back that would uh you know eat up some carries for this next year yeah i definitely think like as far as position i think the ravens are kind of like are more likely to take a player at in the in the in the fourth round to me it's tight end running back, and then uh, maybe even a second offensive tackle if they don't address it earlier in the draft. I feel like they're going to address mm-hmm. a primary swing tackle or developmental tackle in the fourth round with one of, the, with one of those like with four or five picks and, um, and and a running back who can also contribute on special teams and then um, a, a tight end. So I feel like it's like a really sweet spot for them to address some of their, some of their depth needs. But I'm um, going back. Going All back right. To, well, Although I was going to say, going back to uh, Rucker just to kind of finish up my, my 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 notes on him and say I really like this guy. Um, you know, plays through contact, makes tough grabs in, in traffic. Um, he's he's a real aggressive blocker. You know, sustain, uh, sustains leverage um, and can really you know destroy uh, defensive backs in the second and third level as a blocker. So um, and he can hold his own against defensive ends too. Um, I think he's going to he's like like Auden. I think he's going to be a better pro than he was in college. Just certainly more productive. I think he'd be um, an ideal fit for uh, my. He's my top tight end too in this year's draft. All right. All right, so uh, number number two on your list and number two on my list, the same. Number one, you go ahead. Give your notes on Trey McBride first. Uh, yeah, Trey McBride, um, he's, a, he's a guy – um, who at, at the beginning of the process, I kind of, I kind of struggled because you know, you, you when you when you see a tight end being the focal point of a of an offense, you're like you kind of like, okay, I'll take it with a grain of salt a little bit. So I'm like, okay, is he really as good as people are projecting him to be, or is he, you know, all right? But to me, he's one of the more consistent players in this draft. Um, I like him a lot. But the Ravens don't need a number one tight end. He's going to be a number one tight end somewhere in this league. You know, the Mackey Award winner. Like I said, he was the primary primary target for the for the Rams office offense last year. Um, he went to the Senior Bowl, caught a t- caught a touchdown in the game. Uh, I think he's the prototypical and best uh, inline Y option in the draft. Um, he's one of those yards after contact guys. Uh, he's a mean stiff arm. That's really where he gets a lot of separation after the catch. It's just smushing dudes into the ground. So I like that a lot. Um, doesn't separate all all too great at top of his route or even you know with his route running ability. But he does uh, he does uh, make uh, pretty good contested catches. Um, strong hands, high points the ball. All, well, all over the field. Um, he's a three-sport um, athlete in high school, so you always like guys who have that diverse athletic background. And um, to me, he kind of reminds me. Like, I've heard him compared to Austin Hooper, but he kind of reminds me of a of a young Jason Witten, as far as like you know, uh, former current pro comps. 
Okay, uh, that's high praise indeed. Um, uh, McBride is the second fastest tight end, and only Aquanco is as uh, tested faster anyway in the forty. Uh, so we, you know, it certainly has exactly what you would need as a as a receiving tight end uh, from that perspective. Uh, you know, one thing that is glaring about what he did in two thousand twenty one is he had ninety catches, only one touchdown. Tell me how that. Yeah, happened. that was weird. I saw that. Riddle too. me that. Yeah. Yeah, but so anyway, what I, definitely. Uh, go ahead. I, I was just saying, it's like I, I, I didn't watch a whole lot of Colorado State games, even though we get we get a lot of those games up here in Alaska. But um, just from what I seen, like they, they, he was, he was, like I said, they really, he was the focal point of their offense. But he kind of like got them down into the red zone. But after that, once they got down there, the opposing defenses kind of did everything they could to kind of take him away. Like, okay, you're not, you may get a touchdown, but you're not going to beat us with this guy. Like, this guy has been tearing us up between the twenties. But now that we're now that we're in the you know as the Ravens call the grill mates red zone, you're not going to get you're not going to get in the end zone. <laughs> Uh, it's 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 an interesting observation, uh, you know, Mountain West guy. So it's not like the competition level was at the highest. Boise State's in their division in the Mountain West. I mean, and and so is I guess Air Force. So they they have some other teams in there who are you know decent football teams. Certainly, and bowl eligible. Uh, you know, certainly going somewhere to uh, to play in January or, or late December. But um, you know, I still can't reconcile one touchdown in ninety passes. No matter how much I talk about, yeah, they took him away in the red zone. And they, you know, dropped a pup tent on him or whatever they might have done you know, to, to do that. It's just uh, that should not be possible. Um, you know, and maybe Colorado State's offense was just, hey, we when we're in the red zone, we are automatically going to throw it to somebody else. And our standard play is going to be to let McBride take two guys out of the play if, if, as if they could do that consistently. You know what? The 49ers do a similar thing with George Kittle to where, like, he's a, regarded as one of the top tight ends in the game, but he's, like, near the bottom of the mm-hmm. league as far as touchdowns for the position because they use him as somewhat of a decoy in the red zone, even though he'd probably be one of the best red zone red zone targets if they schemed him up. But the fact that, you know, they want to use him as that primary decoy to get somebody else wide open, then that's, he, may, he may be getting a George Kittle treatment. Um, last year, that's I, I just I don't know, I couldn't wrap my, my brain around it either. Like, how does that happen? How do you have all that production and only one touchdown of your ninety-one perceptions? Only one was a touchdown. I just yeah, I, I, it was it was hard yeah. to recon, reconcile too. So, but yeah, that's the only thing I summarize. I mean, it's 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 kind of like we're literally talking the distance between like Earth and Mars and Earth and Pluto between those two guys. Just to, just to, to toss a number on this, uh, George Kittle's had 20 touchdowns in 335 career receptions. That's a little bit more than one every 17. And last year, Trade McBride was one out of 91. Kittle's never been anything close to that. The worst season he's had, I think, is one every 24. Uh, looking at this right now, so uh, yeah, it's, it, it, we're really it, this is a it's a different yardstick for this one out of 91. It's just outrageous. And there has to be something there. There has to be something, but it's actually one out of 90, I guess. Uh, I, I didn't think he did all that much as a box out player. I thought he should have done more. Uh, there had, has the good frame, the good size, the good ability to get to space. Um, but I just don't think he's that great a box out player. It's something he can probably learn in the NFL. His arms are a little short, um, but that's okay. Uh, another guy who could be fine, effective run blocker in level two or level three. And, and in a lot of ways, there's not a lot of point in talking about him too much because the Ravens aren't going to get him. Nope. Uh, and even if I think he could last until round three, but I don't think the Ravens will be the team to reach for him. I think there will be other teams that look at McBride and say, 
this is one of the few receiving set threats available. We don't have a good receiving tight end. We need this guy. Let's go pick him 15 picks early, 20 picks early. To me, he's got New York Giants written all over him. That's just that's just how I how I hmm. feel about it. I know they, they don't have a tight end right oh. now with um Everett Ingram gone and they, they released Kyle Rudolph, so he got he got G Men written all over him. All right, let's talk honorable mention, guys. I know we hit on one honorable mention each here, but who are your guys? Um, my only um, my only honorable mention guy I jotted down was um was the Iowa State guy, uh, Kolar. But um, as far Sean as Kolar. yeah, as far as as far as other guys, um, I saw. I mean, I had I had uh, I forget I forget I forgot his name. Um, Cam Cam Hayward's younger brother. He's kind of like a fullback tight end hybrid. Um, out of out of Michigan, Michigan State. Um, not a guy that I feel like the Ravens would, would target just because he's he's more to me he's more of a fullback than a tight end. But um, he's a pretty athletic dude. Um, like I said, I don't, I don't have too many honorable mentions. There was a who's that Chessie something from San Jose State that I was looking at a little bit. But um, who are your honorable mention guys? I don't have too many. Sure, that that's okay. Uh, Cole Turner, who we already talked about at some length, and James Mitchell of Virginia Tech was another guy. And and I didn't. There was no question that Mitchell was not going to make the top ten when I looked at him. I didn't like him as good as either of my sixes, as much as either of my sixes. Uh, he's he's got an injury problem. He's coming back to it, a, a knee injury in September. And I, if they worked, if the Ravens worked him out somewhere, maybe it would be some interest. But you know, if he if he's drafted by the Ravens at all, I think he'd be a six. Uh, more likely he's a UDFA and he comes to the Ravens and, and earns a spot on the team that way. But uh, uh, does some things well. Um, uh, he's a move tight end. He's all lined up all over Virginia Tech. So that's another reason why the Ravens might like him. Um, but anyway, he's uh, he'd be another guy that I would I would put as an honorable mention. All right. So we got away all through all the way through our list, all the way through honorable mentions. Um, anything else? One tight end, if one or zero in this draft, or is it one exactly? You said what, how many? In, in terms of how many tight ends they draft, one or zero or one exactly, do you think? Uh, I think one exactly. I, I, I think they think they, yeah, I think I think one. I wouldn't I wouldn't say unless they unless they unless they traded back and got a bunch of picks and maybe picked up somebody in like a Sixth, seventh round. I think one tight end will will uh, be then then fourth round will be the sweet spot. So that's what I'm projecting. Right. I think I think we agree on that fourth round. And I, I I'll tell you I put a cap on the pick I would use on each of these guys, and it really gives the Ravens an opportunity as if they're going to follow my system of exact. <laughs> Where I would, but 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 it would it, it tells you how you can maybe be patient with these guys, and I hope the Ravens have some sort of system like this. They'll have the big board, of course, they're looking at, but where they look at certain players and say, "Hey, look, we know this guy is worth this pick," but then we also got to be careful about you know, talent running out and 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 tight end his position where it won't run out in the fourth round. And so the the numbers I had is the hard cap on these players are Ruckert at ninety, which would put him in the third round. Otten at 95, which would put him into the end of the third round. I don't know if the Ravens actually have a pick as low as 95 in the third round. If they do have a supplemental still from Cully, then they might. Yeah, so they, they do. Have a, a, okay, so it's 90, 97, 98, somewhere they, they pick? Yeah, I'll, 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 I'll pull it up real quick. Okay, that's that's fine. Then I'll just name the rest of my guys. Dulcich I had at, at 100, so that probably puts him into the fourth round. Isaiah Likely at 105. Jelani Woods at 115. Jake Ferguson at 125. And Charlie Kolar at 135. 
all those guys would be drafted in the, by the by the end of the fourth round supplemental, which will take you through almost to to, to 160 players, probably like 150 something. Uh, so all those guys are, are possible. So what, what do you have? I'll say what one hundred is their last pick in the third round. So one hundred, seventy seventy six and one hundred. In in theory, as this lines up, I've got three guys who I'd be okay with them taking. I really hope that they don't take a tight end in the at the end of that third round. And what for for that to happen, I think they would have to have seen movement on the tight end board occur before then that gets them scared. They're not going to get any of the guys they like. Uh, but but I think that the, this this team has so many other needs. At just such a wide variety of positions, cornerback, uh, offensive tackle, edge rusher, running back, uh, you know, you name it. They, they need guys. Interior offensive line, they're, they're not wholly set right now. The, the, the center they have, they could really use a backup for already. So, you know, there'd be a lot of guys by the end of the third round that, they're, that, that, that they could uh, have competing needs for. Yeah, I definitely think that I, I, I doubt it's going to be a run on tight ends. I think they probably – I think that the only position they might somewhat reach for, and I don't even think it's a reach because I see some guys like, like Cole Strange and Luke Fortner kind of being projected as late late day two picks. Like I feel like they might want to take as a center at the bottom of the third if it's one's available. Mm-hmm. Um, but I really do feel like you know tight, the tight, there's going to be enough tight ends, even if a guy like Dosich and even Rucker, you know, kind of gets snatched up, sorry, gets snatched up in the third round. I don't think they panic. I think they have enough quality options in the fourth round of the guys that we've listed. I think like a guy like Jake Ferguson would be an ideal tight end too they could find in the four in, in the um in the in the fourth round. Yeah. I completely agree. I think I, I think he's he's a great option there. Uh, all right. Well, anyway, always great doing these shows with you, Josh. And you know, we're running an hour and fifteen in here, and um, uh, you know, this is this is what always happens when we get to talk football. We really enjoy it. We we blab at each other for a long period of time, but it's great to talk to you. Uh, tell folks where they can find your work. Oh yeah, you can find me at uh, well two places now. You can find me at Baltimore Beatdown. Um, that's where all my Ravens content is going to be at. Um, you can find my you know. Find me on Twitter at uh, Josh Reed nine oh seven. But I, I started a new job uh, a few months ago. Uh, you can, you know, well, I don't know how how much people outside of the state of Alaska would be inter- interested in, in uh, Alaska sports. But um, I, I am um, I am a full time sports reporter at um, Anchorage Daily News now up here in, up here in Alaska. So um, if you like, you said, we have we call we have a lot of human interest pieces. If so, if anybody wants to just read a good story about sports. Or even because um, I don't know if you watched the women's national championship for for the basketball, but we had um, one of the one of the assistant coaches on their staff is from Alaska, so he's um, I, I interviewed him and the nice story about his journey and um, you know what's what what it's like being on a championship running with the with the with the South Carolina Gamecocks. So. Okay, so there's something I wanted to ask you about with regard to your work there. You mentioned there's a hockey that you were you were covering the end of the hockey season that was competing with our chance to put together this draft show. And you know, no problem. Obviously, it's great to have you on. We're we're glad you could do it. But the but they had a three game series at the end of the year to finish it off. What level of hockey is this? Yeah, so this is the NAHL. So it's like a it's like a like a, like a semi pro junior hockey league. And so it's the Anchorage Anchorage Wolverines. Okay. Um, and so they they're playing. I forgot who they're playing this weekend, but they have a three. They, this is their like the last home stand of the of the regular season, and they're fighting for a playoff position right now. And um, yeah, so I'll, I'll be I'll be out there this weekend. I think they have this three game series starts on like Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and I'll be at the Thursday and Friday game, and then maybe the Saturday if I don't have another uh, assignment to cover somewhere else. 
Okay, so these are kids who are 16, 17, 15, 16, 17. Oh, no, these are. What age are they? Oh, uh, these are, yeah, these, these are, they, I mean, the, the age range from like, you know, like late teens to like in their in their 20s. So these are okay, either so guys. It's an adult league. Yeah, yeah. So it's it's an adult league. Like some of these guys are, you know, like are are professional professional league league bound, and some of them even have some some pro hockey experience or aspiring for that. So they playing uh, uh, juniors and uh, uh, midget league stuff like that. So it's um it's pretty interesting. Okay, yeah, that it's, it's, it sounds fun. I, I just wondering at what age can you play hockey three straight nights? I know they do it sometimes in the NHL, but it's pretty freaking rare. But at what age can you really comfortably do that? So say you schedule that, and then does Anchorage have a bunch of those three game series scheduled during the year because of how remote it is and maybe difficult to get to? Um, no, so they so they, they they do travel a lot. Like so, Alaska has I think they have three or four, four, four teams. There's the Fairbanks Ice Dogs, the Anchorage uh, Wolverines, I think the Kenai River Bears, but I'm not sure if they're if they're in, in in Alaska, but they travel all around all around the country too. Um, the games they're in uh, okay. like the north northwest region, so it's yeah, it's it's pretty, it's, it's really good hockey. I mean, like there uh, the game I went to uh, last last weekend, there were about like four or five fights in the first period. It was pretty entertaining. All right, that sounds like really good hockey. <laughs> okay, that's good. I really appreciate having you on, Josh. Other folks out there, let me let me uh, get you up, get you there right now. That if you want to do a draft show with me right now, uh, I am open in terms of types of shows. But what I'm looking for a lot of the time is uh, reasons why the Ravens ought to draft one position over another, draft strategies in general, franchise-building strategies that revolve around the draft. Hit me up with any topic. The narrower, the better. We'll go deep into it in about 20 or 30 minutes. That's the kind of content I'm looking for. DMs are open on Twitter. Hit me up there. I'll get right back to you about uh, about uh, doing that. But we'd really like to have people on. I almost think of it as like you're calling into a sports radio show and you get 20 minutes instead of getting two. And uh, we'd really love to have you. Uh, Josh, thanks again for coming on. Thanks for having me, Ken. And we'll talk to you next time on Film Study. This is the story of the one. As head of maintenance at a concert hall, he knows the show must always go on. That's why he works behind the scenes, ensuring every light is working, the HVAC is humming, and his facility shines. With Granger's supplies and solutions for every challenge he faces, plus 24-7 customer support, his venue never misses a beat. Call quickgranger.com or just stop by. Granger for the ones who get it done. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply.